You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. I am super honored and excited for today's guest, Shaheen Shan. He's ranked number one Amazon accelerator. He helps you crush it on Amazon with over 350 million in sales, herbal ecstasy, vapor, and many more. During the Iranian revolution of 1978, Shaheen's family had to escape to survive and ended up finally migrating to Los Angeles, California. At 15 years old, he left home with nothing but the clothes on his back and created over a billion dollars in revenue by inventing the legendary smart drug known as herbal ecstasy. I remember this throughout my life. <laughs> it was the big rage back in the day. These childhood experiences had a major impact on his perspective of freedom, hard work, entrepreneurship. Later, he went on to invent digital vaporization, the forerunner to today's vapes, and start a number of successful businesses with a couple notable failures. Today, is the founder and CEO of Accelerated Intelligence, Inc., a major Amazon FBA seller with millions in sales, the lead coach in an Amazon mastery where he teaches entrepreneurs how to crush it on the Amazon platform and active YouTube creator. Shane is also considered one of the leading global minds on what's next in e-commerce, Amazon, and the internet. He is described as the Willy Wonka of Generation X by the London Observer and Newsweek and one of the most forward thinkers in business. With his Amazon Mastery course, he actually recognizes trends and patterns early on in Amazon platform to help others understand how these shifts impact market and consumer behavior. So I'm excited to welcome you to Making Bank today. Let's make some bank, Josh. <laughs> welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So super excited to have you on the show today. I mean, obviously, the, you know, I was a kid. I know we're pretty close to the same age. Uh, you know, I started hustling and doing stuff, you know, 10, 11 years old, uh, starting my first business uh, and, and everything. So I think we kind of grew up in that same era with me being 48. And I know you're right there near me. So yeah, totally. We, so we came to this country as refugees in the late 1970s, early 80s. I was the recipient of what seemed to be every ass kicking at the school targeted directly towards my ass. And I quickly began to realize that I needed to do something to set myself apart from all the other kids, uh, the little Iranian kids that were getting their ass kicked at that time. So what I did was I pulled together all the misfits, all the kids that didn't belong. And there was something fucking wrong with every single one of us. And I created a little gang and we started a lucrative business in selling illicit products to our fellow adolescents. We had a tiny little Greek kid. We called him the midget, but you can't say that anymore these days. So he was a little person. He was super cute. I know, cute. where did all that go with uh, when we were growing up? <laughs> yeah, he was super cute. Uh, and so nobody ever suspected him of anything. So we, he would fit right under those big metal detectors they used to have in the, in the 1980s. So we'd go into the stores. He would walk in. No one would suspect him. He'd have baggy clothes. We'd create a distraction. He'd stuff everything in his bags. We had glue. We had nudie magazines. We had Playboy and Penthouse and Hustler. You name it. We had all the little bottles of alcohol that you could fit in his pockets. We had glue. We had candy, cigarettes, whatever you wanted. We had it. 
But I very quickly realized that while very lucrative, we were really bad at crime. It became entirely evident to all of us at that time, but me in particular, that we should not have anything to do with crime because we would 110% of the time get caught. We would make money and then we would end up in detention. Did you sell this guy this magazine? Did you sell this guy this this uh, you know bottle of liquor? Did he where did where did he get this this candy? Where did he get these cigarettes? And in detention, we'd find more customers and get into more trouble. So by the by the time I was 15 years old, I decided I was going to leave home in search for my fame and fortune, and I did. I left home early. And I went out into the world, left my family, left all everything that I had. And I really didn't have very many friends left by the time I was 15. And I found myself in Venice Beach. And I was sleeping in old abandoned buildings or new buildings that they were constructing. I figured out how to get the lockbox code and sneak in through the back and crashing in those. And it was during the electronic music scene. I quickly learned oh, that yeah. hanging out at um, the community college would be a great place to find free food. So I would hang out at the community college. That's where I would eat. I managed to get myself a mentor, which by the way, I I write about in my upcoming book, Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult, which just dropped the audiobook on Audible. Awesome. And through that, I, I got into the rave scene, the dance scene, the electronic music scene, which you likely remember from that era. And there was a drug going around at that time called ecstasy, MDMA, Molly. We didn't call it Molly back then. We called it ecstasy. And everybody was taking it, but there was no supply. And the demand was ever increasing. It was a difficult drug to manufacture. The majority of it was being manufactured in Holland and England. And there wasn't much in the United States. So there was a shortage. So what I did was I came in and I identified that that is the business to be in. And I thought, perfect. Let me, let me be in the drug dealing business. This is going to be epic. <laughs> and then I had a moment where I looked back to my adolescence, Josh, and I realized how f-ing bad a crime I was and how I should not be involved in crime for any reason whatsoever, because it would only end in one place very quickly. Yeah. And it was in, in, in that brilliant moment of self-reflection that it came to me. I thought, if I could create a legal version of this, dude, I'll make bank. Making bank with Josh Felber. Yep, you got it. I thought I'd make bank. And what ensued was a search for the Holy Grail. I decided that nothing was going to stop me. It mattered not that I had no money. Didn't matter that I didn't have any friends. I did manage to get myself a girlfriend at that time. I don't know how that was possible. I was broke and barely had a place to to lay my head. And I managed to get myself a girlfriend. You're like 15 or 16 right now, right? And (laughs) this girl's dad was like, had some stuffy job. He was like an accountant or superintendent of some school district. He had some job like that. And he would put on his three-piece suit, get in a stuffy car, and head out the front door. And as he headed out the front door, you'll never guess who creeped in the back. Me. I convinced her to let me in through the back door and to cook up prototypes in her kitchen. 
And (laughs) I spent a good percentage of time cooking up prototypes in our kitchen. Didn't have the money to buy the machine to make the capsules. So I was rolling these herbs by hand, mixing them with honey, putting her in the oven, put putting the, 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 uh, the, the potion in the oven until one day got a formula that worked. You had to chug down 20 of these goof filled pellet things that we made, but it worked. It worked really well. And people, some people like said, this is even better than ecstasy. So I thought, all right, next step, distribution. Walked into the first rave that I knew of, 10,000 people, big party. Walked up to the biggest drug dealer at the time. And knowing that the supply had dried up, I was sure that this was going to be my night. And as I walked up to this guy with tattoos on his face, now remember, we're talking about the 1990s, the early 1990s. Now, if you have tattoos on your face, they call you Post Malone. Back in our day, if you had tattoos on your face, people wouldn't allow you indoors. Now, this man had tattoos on his face. Not only that, he had the three little things, the dots that indicated he had killed or been killed or done some bad thing in prison. There was some prison-related thing about this guy. Sure. And I remember him thinking that I was a cop. I had to convince him, dude, I am a teenager. I am definitely not old enough to be a cop. And him saying, well, what the fuck do you want? And I said, well, you're going to be selling my product. I want you to work for me. And him saying something along the lines of, I think I'm going to kill you now, to which I said that would be bad for business. And (laughs) as I started to look for the exit signs, two people walked up to him and I saw them handing him money. I saw him handing the money back. A little bit of a quarrel ensued. And the next thing I know, he motioned to one of his bodyguards to move me forward, a megalith of a human being. As I moved forward, I shakily handed him a little baggie. And he goes, what do you call this shit? And I, I, I said, oh, man, it's uh, herbal ecstasy. And he just looked at me. He grabbed the entire backpack filled with the little goo-filled pills and said, you better not be f***ing with me. Come back in two hours. Now, this was one of the longest two hours of my life. To myself, I was thinking, dude, it's been a good life. Like, I'm an atheist, but if you get me out of this, I will never do this again. I will pray. I will go to temple. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, just get me out of this one time. Please don't let this this scary man kill me. I'll do anything. Two hours passed. Very slowly, in fact. And now I find myself planted in front of this human being that has very few facial expressions. And I am sweating bullets. My palms are sweaty. I'm standing there. I can't get a word out. He's staring me down. He's not saying anything. I am sure I'm going to die. I'm offering in my head to wash his car, shine his shoes, whatever. Just don't kill me. And he looks at me and says, how soon can you get me more? (laughs) And that was it. It went from one guy to 10,000 guys. We were in 30,000 retail stores, brick and mortar. News started picking us up. We were the hit thing. We went on tour with Lollapalooza, Beastie Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Porno for Pyros. We were everywhere. And we were the it thing. Now, fast forward a little bit, let's say less than a year ahead. I have an exotic car collection. 
I'm sleeping one or two hours a day, mostly in my cars because I'm exhausted. I can't make it home, so I'll just crash wherever. Uh, I've got 200 employees. Anybody who could fog up a mirror, I hired. We couldn't hire people fast enough. We were producing the stuff for 25 cents at multiple facilities, selling it for $20. It was a normal occurrence for me to have bags, duffel bags filled with cash, mostly a cash business, hanging around everywhere. (laughs) And I wake up and I I lift my head. It was sticking to the seat of my Lamborghini. I realize, fuck, man, I just drooled all over my Lamborghini. Not a good look. Wake up, stumble into my office. My secretary is there. All the employees are there. Somber tone. Everybody's really quiet. I said, fuck what happened? This got to be the day where they shut us down. We're, we're, it. we're over. And she looks at me and she goes, the limo outside, all the circus around. She's like, they're all here for you. Newsweek, Sam Donaldson with Nightline, Montel Williams, uh, Details Magazine. They're all here for you. I said, well, what the fuck happened? She says, well, you broke a billion dollars in revenue. The news hit. We broke a billion dollars in revenue, Josh, pre-internet. Yeah, this was like early 90s. Early 90s. The internet wasn't a thing. Pre-smartphones, pre-social media, a billion dollars, pre-Silicon Valley and VC fundraising, all that stuff. I was a teenager. I did not have a college education. I did not have a high school education. I barely had a grade school education. And I remember thinking to myself, holy shit, I don't know how much a billion dollars is. Somebody tell me how much a billion is. Is it a thousand million, a hundred million, 50 million? And then they calmed me down. They said, look, no one's going to ask you that. No one's going to make a fool of you. It's, you know, this is how much it is. It's, you know, it's, it's this much money. And so you don't have to worry. And then I thought to myself, Oh, does this mean I have to get an accountant now? And I learned very quickly to my dismay that accountants are not the guys that actually count cash in the duffel bags. And I remember that very uncomfortable conversation when an accountant from a very big accountancy firm showed up at my office only to discover duffel bags of cash and me asking him to count it and him looking like he was hitting the head, but with a sack of bricks. And things just got crazier from there. And I write about it, by the way, in the book, Billion. I should remember to tell people where that just dropped, right? The book just dropped. The Audible book just dropped. You can get it on Amazon. You can uh, check it out on anywhere books are found. Audible, you can get the audio book. No, that's fantastic. No, that's, you know, I, I remember a lot of this. Just I remember seeing like the little packets and, you know, they were in the stores and, you know, it was all around. And, you know, what was... Obviously, the West Coast is, I don't know, five years ahead, kind of like from a music scene and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, me growing up here and I lived in Dallas for a while. And I, after I sold my company there, moved back and I put on like one of the largest, I guess, raves or whatever you want to call them back then at that point in time here in Cleveland, Ohio. And, and I remember that was one of the things there. I remember somebody had a little stand in our thing. We had let people sell stuff and somebody was selling those. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. We were, we were everywhere. We were in 30,000 plus stores. I had offices in Tokyo, Paris, Berlin, 
Venice Beach, all of Venice Beach, we had Larry Flint who was calling us every day wanting to sell it through the adult stores. And he got it through all the sex shops and adult stores. I had new age people getting it through all the new age stores. We kept a lot of those stores in business when nothing else was paying them. We created more millionaires in that time. All these little drug dealers in all these clubs went legit. It was like Godfather 3, Mm. right? They're all of a sudden, they're all taking their business legit. They got territories. They opened up franchises. We opened up stores all over the country. Country. And it was a really disruptive business that did a lot of good. So, you know, kind of during that like time frame, you know, starting it, you know, you're 15 years old to, you know, to, to hitting that billion dollars. I mean, what, I guess for you, I mean, what were some of those biggest takeaways that you kind of pulled from that? Um, obviously, you've built other big companies in everything from now. And I mean, back then you had no clue what you were doing. And it was funny. I was on a interview the other day for myself and somebody's like, Oh, Hey, you know what, what was one of the biggest takeaways from all the 300 plus people that you've interviewed? I go, most of the guys, anybody from like Damon, John, the Cuban to anyway, they didn't really know what they were doing. Yeah. Like they just kept going after it, going after it, going after it, being persistent, you know, when, when things, you know, and kept pushing through and, and trying to, and figuring it out. So I just kind of curious from you, you know, what, what was that or what were some of your biggest takeaways from that time frame that were aha moments for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So ultimately, there is a lot of stick to it. I think when I was receiving those ass whoopings, and life has a way of kicking your ass, that you don't fully appreciate what it's doing for you. And for a lot of people, it can crush your soul. It can crush you. Sure. You can end up working at Starbucks and having a beer belly and you know just being fat and stupid the rest of your life. It happens. That is a possibility. Yeah. In the woke culture that we live in now, in the cancel culture that we live in now, people want you to believe that that's not a thing. That people will right. love you and accept you no matter what. And you'll be accepted into this warm, cushy world where you can lounge on synthetic bearskin rugs and live your life out doing whatever you want. It's bullshit. Yeah. The fact is life can crush you. But for the people who continue to get up, no matter how many times they get knocked out, for the people who have this indescribable belief in themselves. And what what Richard Koch in his book, Unreasonable Success, calls an unreasonable belief in yourself. People like Steve Jobs, people like Elon Musk, people like Jeff Bezos. If you have that belief in yourself and you take those punches, you know, most people think, oh, those guys are always rich. Bullshit. I bet you anything those guys got the shit kicked out of them. Those guys got life stomping on them in more ways than one. But they kept getting up. That's the difference. And not only did they keep getting up, they used those punches as fuel to build themselves stronger, knowing that success is the greatest revenge you could ever have. I tell this story. So at this point, I'm probably early 20s. And I am sitting in this brand new Ferrari. I remember it was Rosa Corso. I had this whole fight with somebody saying it's red. I said, no, it's Rosa Corso. It's Ferrari's racing color. Like you don't know shit. And they were like, oh, you got the car because you want your dick small. I said, great, whatever. I'm driving a new Ferrari, okay? I'm doing pretty (laughs) well. And I remember taking the car. I can smell it now. The the, like supple leather seats, the paint, the engine roar, all that stuff. 
I had a beautiful girlfriend by my side, very excited, pulling up to one of the fanciest restaurants in Beverly Hills, West Hollywood area. And I pull up and it's like a scene from the movies. The valet is there rushing to open the door and, and the uh, uh, paparazzi are there taking pictures. Who is this? Oh, I think it's that ecstasy guy, ecstasy kid. Yeah, let's get, let's get him. Let's get him. They're taking celebrities walking in. It was one of those scenes. Now, several months before this time, I was working in a copy shop making photocopies for you guys. We have to do a little young explaining on the show, Josh. For you guys who don't remember, before the internet days, people made paper copies of shit and they used that. And it was at a Kinko's probably. Like it was a Kinko's. Kinko's right? it Nobody was knows Kinko's. what a Kinko's is anymore. <laughs> now, I did not have a place to sleep, if you remember. And so right. what I would do is I would do my work. I would come in on time. I was loyal, honest, never stole, never did anything dishonest. I would just sleep behind the copy machine for a couple hours. It was warm, the hum, the sound of the copy machine. It was good. Mm-hmm. I had a cartoon boss. I swear to God, this guy came out of Monopoly. It was this little dude with a cane and a mustache. And he caught me back there once, just doing nothing but catching a nap. Beat the shit out of me and made sure I did not get my paycheck. And I remember walking out of there totally crushed. Now I'm stepping out of this restaurant, this beautiful supermodel right by me. Brand new Ferrari. You could smell the leather a mile away. People could just smell it. The paparazzi taking pictures of me. I throw the keys to the, to the valet. I always wanted to do that. I throw the Ferrari keys to the valet. He catches it with a blink. It's like the, the music is coming on in the background. And I look to my left and walking down the sidewalk, there he is, my old boss. And he does a take and he looks back and he does a second take at me. And he noticeably starts getting redder and redder. And I could almost see his little cartoon mustache perking up as you could see his sphincter getting tighter and tighter as he looks at me. But he kind of can't believe what he's seeing. And he's just turning redder and redder. And I look to my date for the evening and I say, one sec. And I walk straight over to him, beeline over to him. He's still doesn't know what's happening. And I hold my hand out to shake his hand. And as I shake his hand, I feel him noticeably trembling, unable to to get a word out of his mouth. And I say, remember me? (laughs) And he's shaking. He's shaking. He's shaking. He can't do anything. He can't get a word out. And I said, I'll see you later. And walking back into that restaurant, everybody noticing me, everybody taking pictures, feeling like, man, I really made it. And success really is the best revenge. That's that's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and that's, yeah, I mean, it comes down to, you know, how you treat others and, you know, it's, it's comes back around, I think. So he... Wasn't 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 that right guy? But he also helped you in a way, and gave you that extra nudge and drive that you needed to continue to crush it out there. Yeah, man. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and For sure. you can let life take control. I, I I like this quote a lot. I I tell it to people all the time. If if you don't decide what's going to happen for you, somebody else will. Mm. And so you can choose to be in the driver's seat or the passenger seat. But if you're in the passenger seat, someone else is going to decide what you get in life. 
And you damn well better be okay with that. 100%. And then we got a little bit of time left too. I want to make sure we get, get some good things covered as well. I mean, that's awesome story and just understanding kind of the whole perspective and background. Obviously over the time too, I mean, you've been, you know, entre- serial entrepreneur 30 plus years like myself. So, I mean, you've obviously built and worked with other big brands. You've built a huge Amazon business, um, you know, with over 350 million in sales. When did, I guess, kind of the whole Amazon thing kind of move into place and, and then, you know, kind of let's head down that path for a few minutes. Yeah, great question. So after the ecstasy thing, I moved on to inventing most of the technology for what now has become the vape. Okay. And, and the yeah, vaporizer, I patented that. that. Yeah. I exited that company somewhere around 06. It went public in 2007. The first vaporizer company to go public, wrote the first book on vaporization, all that stuff. After that, I went to the problem of solving the mental decline of humans when you reach a certain age. I've got a kid. You know, when, when you get to be our age, you start losing the acuity that you had in, the, in your 20s and even in your 30s. You, you know that. And yeah. I would think to myself, man, I got to find a solution for this. So I invented this pill called Accelerol, amazing supplement. What most people don't know is most supplements that you buy, they'll list 50 ingredients on there, just a bunch of shit. It's not because those ingredients are in there per se. It's because they like SEO. It works for the optimization and web search. So making a good supplement that actually has the clinically needed ingredients is very expensive and nobody wants to pay it. If I told you, hey man, I got one with all the studied ingredients, it's going to cost you 250 bucks a bottle. You'd be like, that. I can get one for 20 bucks on, on Amazon. Right. <laughs> so I created this bomb supplement. It was funny because Bradley Cooper was actually at my house before he made that film Limitless and we were having oh, a great conversation. Nice. It was a great party. And afterward he went off and he made that movie Limitless. I take no credit for that, of course. But after he made that film, one of my favorite films, I thought, man, I want that fucking Limitless pill. How do I get that? And I came up with Accelerol Focus Plus, which we still sell on Amazon, still one of the, the top brain supplements on there, although it's a lot cheaper now. We figured out how to make it cheaper. But this was back in the early days. Bezos was not a big baller. You could get Bezos on the other end of the phone. You could email Jeff, Jeff at Amazon.com. He would respond to every reasonable email back in the early days. We managed to kind of get in and we talked to somebody who was telling us, hey, Jeff's going to open up the platform to third-party sellers. And you're going to be able to sell anything you want to on the platform. I thought, yeah, I'm going to sell Accelerol. Let me try that. Put it up. It's not like now. Back in those days, 15 minutes, I started a seller account and put the product up in 15 minutes. I went to sleep. I thought, yeah, you know, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. You know, this is some Silicon Valley nerd. He's, you know, he's just, he's just a nerd. It's not a big deal. Woke up, thousands of orders at 120 bucks a piece, thousands of orders, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. And Jeez. I thought, okay, everybody, let's stop what we're doing and pay attention to Mr. Jeff Bezos here. And we did. And I started looking and researching, who is this guy? What's he doing? Turns out he is not a chump. Turns out that Bezos was one of the smartest guys in the room. Bezos knew how to get the best talent. He knew how to get cheap money from Wall Street and take it to Silicon Valley. And what he was building, everybody thought was an experiment. Oh, cool. Look how cute it is. He's selling books online. 
that. This guy was planning to disrupt e-commerce like nobody had ever done before. If you look at before him, you had Piggly Wiggly. This dude comes in and goes, you know, back turn of the century, you want to buy something, you walk into a general store. And the guy would be like, what do you want? I want some beer and, uh, you know, a loaf of bread and give me a, you know, hair pomade or whatever they used back then. And the guy would put it in the bag. He'd tell you how much it is and you go out. There'd be no choice of brands. There would be no negotiation and price. None of that stuff. Piggly Wiggly comes around. This goes, you know what we're going to do? We're building shelves. What are shelves? We're going to put not one, not two, not three, as many as we can get products on those shelves. And guess what else we're going to do? What are you going to do? We're going to give them carts, these things on wheels that people can take around. They can take their products off the shelves, put them in the carts. Well, that's interesting. Then what? See this machine here? What the fuck's that? It's called a register. We're going to ring them up. Three things he put together. Now, the guy at the general store sitting with his chin on his fist, wondering where all the customers are. This guy disrupted commerce. Why do I tell you that story? That's who Jeff Bezos is. He's the Piggly Wiggly. He's the next incarnation of Piggly Wiggly. And he created a seamless buying process, which was never intended for books. He wants to be the everything store. He wants to sell you everything from A to Z. And when I say everything, I mean everything, products, services, goods. He wants to be in every nook and cranny, and he has succeeded, which has made him one of the richest men in the world, if not the richest one. I think Elon just passed him, but that goes back and forth. Now, (laughs) now, people look at this guy, and they're like, oh, my God, he sent a into space. He has got this big yacht and this, you know, Latin girlfriend and look at his life. What people don't look at is look at how much wealth and prosperity Jeff Bezos has created. Look at how many millionaires and billionaires now are being created through Amazon. You included with your businesses and and product lines. There are more millionaires and billionaires that will be created through Amazon than any other company in the next 10 to 20 years. There have been more millionaires created through Amazon than any other e-commerce business in the history of the internet. And we are just at the ground floor. And subsequent to me creating this brain pill, people kept asking us, hey, so what are you going to do next? I said, we're all in on Amazon. I'm going to learn everything I can. And we became one of the top sellers on the Amazon platform, starting companies that are generating millions and millions of dollars. And we started teaching other people how to do that. So now I'm at a place where financially I'm good. I could retire anytime I want to. I've got the houses. I've got the cars. I've got my family. I'm a family guy now, living a family life, a beautiful kid, beautiful wife. And my goal now is to impact as many people as I can to stop selling their hours and one day be able to walk into their boss or their bullshit side hustle and look them straight in the eye and tell them to off and have them look back at them and smile and go, yeah, I wish that was me. That's what I want to do. And that's why we created FBASellerCourse.com, FBA standing for Fulfillment by Amazon, where we teach people every day how to find products on the Amazon platform, how to sell products, how to get reviews, how to get ranked. And we do it all day long. And I have a one-hour course 
It's normally 200 bucks for anybody listening to Making Bank. I'll offer it for free if that's okay with you, Josh. Um, yeah, for sure. No we'll obligation. Just, just let us know the link and we'll drop it here. Yeah, no obligation, no credit card. I'll actually make it easier than that. Email me. Uh, thanks to David Allen, Getting Things Done. I respond to every single email. No email goes unanswered. Email me directly. I'm going to give my personal email. It is darkzess at gmail.com. That's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Email me with the subject heading Making Bank, and I will give you the one-hour course for free. And anybody that wants coaching or mentorship or help starting their Amazon business, if I can help impact your life so that you can walk in and tell your boss, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're doing to fuck off because you now have this piece of real estate on the Amazon platform that's creating predictable recurring revenue for you, then I feel good about that. No, that's awesome and super cool. I mean, just... Here, you know the different things that you've you know grown and how you've built it and stuff. I'm definitely we'll definitely have to have you back for round two so we can really break everything down and you know and and give people some additional executable things and everything. Uh, it's super cool too. I saw that you know you're in martial arts, jujitsu, I think, and a, a big background in martial arts and stuff as well. My kids are in taekwondo and they're Muay Thai black belts and oh, wow. I, I'm Krav Maga black belt, second degree and jujitsu, not jujitsu black belt, but in jujitsu. I love that. <laughs> jujitsu black belts take a while to get to. Good places <laughs> to train in Ohio? Uh, yeah, 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 definitely. Some good places to train and things like that here. So it's, it's awesome to see that you're kind of in that, on that same path and, and, and everything. So it's all part of the same thing, Josh, as you know, yeah. it's, it's all about grit, resilience, building thick skin and discipline. What's martial arts about? It's about discipline. It's about being able to take a punch and learn next time how to, how to evade it. It's about, it's it's not about puffing your chest up and kicking someone's ass. It's about knowing that you can, but being able to walk away to fight another day. Business is the same thing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Guys, I hope you guys are really taking, taking notes. If not, pause this, Go back, watch it again, listen to this again. We've, we went into a lot of different areas, but there were so many hidden nuggets of information that are there that you can take and apply to your business, take and apply to your, uh, your personal life. And you know, if you're in that position, you're working that side hustle and, and you're, you're trying to grow it and you're ready to you know, tell your boss to stick it and just you know, and move forward, now might be that time after listening to this show. So it you know, gives, you, gives you that opportunity, that extra kick in the butt that you need to you know, take to that next level. So again, take those notes, pay attention. But one last thing, you're like, uh, you're like thinking like, oh, Josh, I hope you were going to ask me this. Or one, maybe one last thing. You're like, oh, I really want to share this before we wrap up here. Um, that you want to leave our audience with. Go ahead. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to one of my favorite quotes. I think it's Henry Ford. And that's that whether you think you can or you can't, you are right. Yeah. And I believe that fully. I mean, when people come to yep. me oftentimes and they're like, man, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. I'm like, you're right. Or they'll come to me and be like, I'm going to do this amazing thing. I'm like, you're right. Who am I to judge what you're going to do? So there are qualities that we can build within ourselves that I feel always can improve our chances of success. People say, man, you got fucking lucky. And I remember for years after herbal ecstasy, I thought, man, billion dollars in revenue, all this fame, all this wealth. 
I just got lucky. I was at the right place at the right time. And then I slapped myself in the face one way or another. And I, I think bullshit. I made my own success. We notice the 15 seconds that it takes to do a uh, suture in someone's heart, but we don't realize the 25 plus years of experience that surgeon had to know how to cut it. So it only takes 15 seconds or 15 minutes or however long that takes. Right. Obviously, I don't know anything about heart surgery, as you can tell. I'm sophistication of a chimpanzee when it comes to medical stuff. But my point, I think, should be, should be well-received that at the end of the day, it's really, it really comes down to your mindset and your unwavering belief in yourself, especially, especially when other people don't believe in you. Agreed. Yeah. No, that, so, so true. Uh, where can people get more information? I know we dropped your email here. Any links anywhere you want them to check out some information at? Yeah, totally. Guys, if you think that I brought value to you, please check us out. We also have a podcast called Hack and Grow Rich that I co-host with the great Bart Baggett. You can get that on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are found or on YouTube. Make sure to like and subscribe us or hate and troll us. Either one is fine with me. We've got a lot of both. Alternatively, my book, which is out, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. Once again, you get it on Amazon. Make sure to grab a copy and leave me a great review or leave me a terrible review as long as you leave me a review. Alternatively, you can also uh, check out the Amazon course if any of you guys are interested in that free offer that I have for any of Josh's fans and Making Bank. Just mentioned Making Bank in the subject heading. Check us out at FBA Fulfillment by Amazon, FBA sellercourse.com. Awesome. Shane, again, thank you for coming to Making Bank. An honor to have you on the show today. I just really appreciate your time and uh, insight. I appreciate you too, buddy. Thank you so much. I am Josh Felber. You were watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary.